Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. In this episode, let's discuss Pixar's Coco. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here and James here. Today's episode is going to be on Pixar's Coco, which is, in my opinion, a top five Pixar movie. This one hits me in all the right places. It's emotional. It's hilarious. The animation is absolutely exceptional. And I really just love every moment of this film. And it really breaks my heart multiple times. My heart, my heart, as well as the last five minutes, leaves me in tears every time I watch this film. It's funny because I've seen it a couple of times and it's in my top three for Pixar. I have it at number three. I have Ratatouille's my favorite, then the first Toy Story, then Coco. It's a good list. Yeah, it's, I think it's a solid list. And I mean, this movie is really, it's a special Pixar movie. I think it's the one of their best, one of the best things Disney has done, I think, in the last 20 years. But it's just so emotional because I, I was watching it uh, this morning while I was doing something else. I was writing in some documents and doing some boring work, and I had it on the background. As a refresher. Yeah, you know. yeah, as a refresher to just catch up, get back up to speed because I didn't have time to just watch it on its own. So I was multitasking. And by the by the last 10 minutes, I was sobbing. <laughs> just like, oh, my God, I couldn't stop crying. It, it just it's a, It just hits you. It has such great themes about family and love and tradition and remembrance. Obviously, I think the main theme of the film is clearly remembering um, your family, remembering your loved ones, even when they've passed away, and passing that memory on to the new members of the family so that nobody has ever forgotten. It's a really powerful theme that I hadn't seen in any kind of kids movie before. We've seen death here and there, but I think that was a really specific, complex theme that they were putting into this movie that was a little different from others. Coco came out in 2017. It was directed by Lee Unkrich and Adrian Molina, written by Lee Unkrich, Jason Katz, Matthew Aldrich, and Adrian Molina. Despite his family's generations-old ban on music, young Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician just like his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful Land of the Dead. After meeting a charming trickster named Hector, the two new friends embark on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history on IMDb. Coco is at an 8.4, and it's number 74 on the all-time IMDb user rating list. Rotten Tomatoes, it is a 97% critic score, 94% audience score. This film also won two Academy Awards. It won Best Animated Feature and also Best Original Song for Remember, Remember Me. Me. And global box office, this cleaned up with $807 million, million internationally. Dollars. So very well-received film, highly successful, and like we said, one of Pixar's best. And I like how in the last several years, Pixar and Disney have been branching out to other cultures. This is one of the those first films. I mean, we got Encanto, we got Luca with the Italian culture. Um, so I, I like how Pixar is branching out to every walk of life on the planet and so that everyone's stories can be told with their form, with their medium and with their exposure and with their incredible storytelling artists. And uh, this film also, I think, is really special in terms of its animation. The lighting of this film, I think, when I saw that for the first time, just stood out in terms of Pixar films. This one in Toy Story 4 
I found extremely impressive the cinematography, the digital lenses in this in this film, and incredible precise lighting techniques that are so true to real life lights. Uh, it's really remarkable to see how they can light scenes and. It feels like there's just like a camera on set of this like animated world sometimes. Creativity of The Land of the Dead is just breathtaking. And it's, it's I think, the visually visually the most stunning Pixar film to date. It's just re really miraculous once the film gets going and you're in this other realm. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it before for animated films. And I think it was just really stunning. I think it's their best looking movie of all time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ratatouille was the first Pixar film to start exploring like real cinematography and creating those digital lenses, that software they developed to make it seem like real DPs on set filming every scene. Like you said, like you're on set in this Pixar animated world. And what I love so much about Coco, in addition to the incredible animation, is the cinematography there's so much like handheld in this movie, yeah. in an animated movie, handheld cinematography all over the place. It's very subtle. It's very controlled handheld, which is like one of your favorites for sure. Um, yeah, we're using that kind of style for uh, the short film Midnight Ruin that we're doing. But it's all over this movie, just like steady handheld cinematography. And it makes you feel like it's real. It makes you feel like you're there. That's what the whole point of handheld photography is to bring realism to any kind of story, any kind of production. And it makes you feel like you're there with Coco, with Miguel, with all these characters. And the filmmakers used it in particularly for this film, not just for that, but also when you're shooting, when the film's cinematography is mostly static and controlled and then it goes handheld, Filmmakers will do that to set a tone for a scene, uh, make you feel anxiety, make you feel fear. If there's something chaotic or troublesome happening with the characters, they'll go handheld and it makes the audience feel that as well when everything else has been controlled. So it's a great technique. I love how the Pixar animators and filmmakers are utilizing real world techniques into their animation. It really is has what's always separated them from the other animation studios and obviously the other studios borrowed from them and, and used their same techniques. But Pixar really has always been the cutting edge of uh, film animation for movies. One of my favorite parts of the film has got to be Mexican culture. And I think Pixar did an incredible job bringing as much of that richness to the storytelling of this film. You know, I think the Dia de Muertos or Dia de los Muertos as a main motif throughout the entire film, as well as being the thematic storytelling element for dealing with death for children in this story and with that culture, they did a phenomenal job, you know, just being in the real world, world, but then the land of the dead is so magical and interesting and just, it starts those questions in your mind as a kid, if you're watching this for the first time, like what happens after death? Is there a world after this? And then are are your loved ones walking amongst us like they are? Like the, Is there an afterlife? Yeah, there's an afterlife and they pass the bridge and they, they come spend time with their families and their loved ones. So long as the, they're on the offenda, if they're, they're photos up there. <laughs> I, by the way, I love the blend of technology in the Land of the Dead. Like there's like high tech technology like that instance. It's just really. Well, in the photographs. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, it's great. Well, it's, it's adapting. You can tell that. It's like an airport. They have yeah. like those like ancient Mayan pyramid structures. But as you get closer and more deep into the, the Land of the Dead, it becomes more of like a modern city landscape, yeah. which is really interesting. Skyscrapers and stuff like that. But the, uh, the filmmakers and animators, they traveled to Mexico five times to research about the culture, people, tradition, food, etc. to help define the story and characters of Coco. Among their journeys, they visited Mexico City and Waka. Director Leo Unkrich said of the experience, I'd seen it portrayed in folk art. It was something about the juxtaposition of the skeletons with bright, festive colors that captured my imagination. It has led me down a winding path of discovery 
And the more I learn about Dia de Muertos, the more it affects me deeply. Now, Lee is a great director and has been one of the defining voices Monsters, Inc. of Toy Story yeah. for a while. So Lee Unkrich, has, he's co-directed several Pixar films. So I'm going to pull up his IMDb right now. He, uh, I think, I can't remember which one. It was his first one, but he co-directed Toy Story 3, Finding Nemo. No, Toy Story 3, he directed by himself. Co-directed Finding Nemo. Co-directed Monsters, Inc., co-directed Toy Story 2, and then Coco he co-directed as well. So he's just been one of the main voices and visionaries at Pixar for a very long time. And Pixar is like the rare studio where they often make films where there's multiple directors. And it's because the process of making these animated films is so extensive and so intense and requires a lot of work. Whereas with the production, you shoot, and then there's a big team for post-production. But... The big team post-production is the entire filming process of this move of movies like this. So the scale of it, uh, it requires sometimes multiple director directors. That's why oftentimes Pixar movies will have co-directors, which is very rare for um, live action films. And the cast is really, really great. So many recognizable names and voices. So Anthony Gonzalez plays Miguel, the main character. Gael Garcia Bernal is Hector in this movie as well. He's, he's a great actor. Benjamin Bratt, I'm sure you all know from TV and movies as well. Yeah, Alana, from Miss Congeniality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alana Ubak, uh, Rene Victor, Jamie Camille, or Jaime Camille, Alfonso Auro, Heberto Siguenza. So really great voice acting cast. Gael and Anthony are basically the two leads of this story. They're really terrific in this in these two roles. And there's so much complexity to the story of this of this film. And with the story of Miguel, you know, music is such a strong theme throughout this film. The love of music that Miguel has that's coursing through his veins and how it's just been shunned by his family for generations and generations after they believe that his great-great-grandfather, who we don't discover his true identity until the third act of the film, uh, left his family and abandoned them to pursue a music career. No one ever heard from him really ever since. And so their entire family has just removed music from their life and shunned it and have just stuck to themselves and created a great family generational business of built, of making shoes. And family is so important and vital to this story. And I feel like they captured uh, Mexican families really well because it's kind of different from, you know, American families traditionally where, you know, you see your well, you see your cousins like on holidays um, here and there, but Mexican families and a lot of Latin, Latin American families, cousins are like brothers and sisters. Like extended family members are still very much part of the central family, and it's a much tighter and closer unit. Even though they'll be separated, they're not. They, they might not be your direct family, like a brother or sister, but a cousin or second cousin can just be, be just as close as a brother or sister is in that kind of culture. And I, I feel like they captured that really accurately in this film because we have uh, a, a lot of Latin American friends and growing up and living so long in California, you see that and how the cultures and families can be um, can be living differently. It's a community-based familial yeah. system, yeah. In a, a matriarchal system in a, in a lot of sense. So, you know, it's kind of a matriarchal film. And what I, what I love also about this film, and it did, like more on the music though, Incredible music throughout oh, yeah. the entire Chikino film. Chiquino did the score. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it, if you look closely, the orchestrator of the show, yeah. they made a they made him look just like Michael Giacchino, the composer. And it, it's just like Giacchino's skeleton with his hair. And he, it's super funny. I love the mariachi music throughout the entire film. I love the opening Disney uh, theme with the mariachi uh, style of with music the at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and when you're watching instruments, especially guitar playing in this film, 
the fingers are always in the right, correct place, depending on what chord or note the instrument is, is being played on that instrument. So they actually nailed where the hands and fingers are supposed to be for the correct moments in, in parts of a song in, in uh, tablature, which is really so, cool. So that attention to detail is amazing. I wouldn't notice that. It just looks good to me. But for you, you're familiar with it. So for someone like you, you could be like, oh, that's definitely that's those a D chord. Are the, yeah, those yeah, are yeah. The right chords. <laughs> so it's, it's really incredible yeah. to watch, actually, that the attention to details. Incredible. And, and so music is so strong in this family, even though they've just eliminated it from their lives. And, and they ref they don't let Miguel pursue it. Miguel's pursuing it secretly. He built his own guitar. His fretboards, use, he uses nails to uh, distinguish the frets and also to tighten the strings. He uses nails as well with the screwdriver. And he idolizes this famous Mexican singer-guitarist named Ernesto de la Cruz, who passed away after a bell fell on top, fell on top of him, <laughs> but not before building the greatest catalog of all time in Mexican music history. And Miguel is obsessed with them. I feel like Ernesto is inspired kind of by Elvis Presley for being both a musical icon and also a very famous actor who did who performed music in his movies. Oh, that's, that's I feel possible, like it was, yeah. it, it was kind of a little bit inspired by Elvis. He's got that cool vibe yeah. too as well. And so Miguel is trying to pursue music secretly, wants to enter this talent show contest, uh, defies his family's rules for him living without music in his life, and tries to enter. His guitar gets smashed by his abuelita, unfortunately, even though she loves him so much, she smashes the heck out of no his music. <laughs> so he steals or borrows <laughs> Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar at the shrine for uh, Ernesto in, uh, in the piazza. De la Mar the Mariachi Piazza, and immediately gets transferred into the, the land of the dead because he stole a belonging and a possession of someone who's passed away on Dia de Muertos, which means he's cursed. That's how he gets into the land of the dead. And that's why he looks like a normal person, not a skeleton. For now. For now. So it's a good opening yeah. to set up the, it's a great of the big film. Act. Yeah. It's a great big event, for sure. And I love, I love Fish Out of Water stories. Sometimes... If they're done right, they're just really exciting, and it always makes for great comedy and surprises. Because with fish out of water stories, especially when you're entering a new world or a new realm like this, the audience is Miguel, and so we're along for the ride. We're learning uh, moment by moment what this new world is like. We're experiencing everything fresh, and so I I love fish out of water stories in, in this regard. When you're with the main character, and you're the surrogate, they're the surrogate audience member. And I love the cultural aspect of Dia de Muertos, Dia de los Muertos, where your ancestors are basically visiting you on an ancestral plane, and you're paying, you're honoring your your dead relatives and your past loved ones, and you put up a photo of them on the ofrenda, which means offering in Spanish. And if you, in the concept in the film, is if uh, someone who's living in the land of the dead. In this afterlife, if their photo is not put up on an ofrenda by their family, if they're not being honored by their family, then they cannot cross cross the bridge to enter the plane to be with their loved ones. And after a long after a period of time, if they're eventually forgotten, they just disappear from the land of the dead, and no one knows what's after that. And so the character Hector, he is being forgotten by his family. We don't know immediately who his family is, who's left. But he's starting to disappear. He has a friend who disappears and fades away because his daughter has forgotten who he is. And so if someone forgets you completely, if, if no one remembers you, then you just fade away, which is really interesting because it's kind of like real life where some people are greatly honored and greatly remembered, like celebrities, famous people, religious figures, musicians. 
just like Ernesto has such a huge offering, a bounty uh, of excess that people around the world offer him, around Mexico, or leave for him on Dia de Muertos. And so many other people have nothing. They have no one who remembers him, like Hector, who whose daughter is forgetting him. But I also love how this film kind of connects to Citizen Kane, where Coco is kind of like Rosebud. <laughs> Coco is a Rosebud yeah, yeah. in this movie, if you think about Rosebud, it. Rosebud, yeah. Because Miguel thinks that Ernesto is his grand great great grandfather. He has the photo that's torn up with the head of the of the person taken off of um his his great great grandmother and Coco, his his great grandmother, Abuelita, uh um, Mama Coco when she was a young child. Yeah. He thought Ernesto was the man in the photograph. But it turns out because that of was, the guitars, the the same guitar Ernesto played. In the big suit. Yeah. Lo and behold, it was actually Hector the whole time. Which is so beautiful to to find like your family be in the afterlife because, you know, he meets Ernesto. It's kind of one of those situations where you don't want to meet your hero because he turns out to be a horrible person. Yeah, and it is a really interesting theme what happens to the souls of the dead in the land of the dead once they are forgotten and they disappear. And it's like it, that's a really intense thing to put in a kids movie. Like, is that just representing the lack, the non-existence? Because is there an afterlife after the afterlife? Or do you just not exist anymore? That's a really interesting concept, and I thought it was really, uh, really great to put into this film. It's because it's really complicated, and I mean, it's kind of hard to explain to a kid. And it, I think some parents might be afraid to talk about something like that. But I thought it was done really beautifully. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But also, it created such intense stakes for Hector. And so by the end of the film, when it's revealed that Hector is the great-great-grandfather and Miguel is desperate to save him, he doesn't want Hector to disappear uh, because he knows how terrible a fate that must be. It really created an extreme conflict for the film. And I think that's what really elevated the film um, in its storytelling where there was a, a very good conflict, but it was we thought it was solved in terms of finding his great-great-grandfather. And then that created a new conflict when they're trapped down in that bin, in that basin. But then the new conflict is trying to save Hector's soul. And I mean, that's what's a bigger conflict than that for a human being. So I thought that was really magnificent storytelling. Yeah, for a kid's movie, it's yeah. really incredible. I mean, they've obviously dabbled in death for with many of their films. Up, they open 10 minutes and everyone's weeping in that movie. And I think it, you know, it's, it helps people talk to their kids about death movies like this and helps kids understand it. Soul very much focuses on, you know, what happens after you die. Do you have a soul? So I think Coco does a tremendous job by just talking about death with children in, in a kid's story. And it's done so well with such precision. And I love so much about the film and the culture also, like the ofrenda. It's really fascinating to me. The ofrenda, the offerings, like the, the altar of of where you off, offer um, your, your love and your homage to your loved ones. You put their photo up there. You put some food up there. I love how, uh, uh, what's his name? The dog eats <laughs> the food. <laughs> what's his name? Dante. <laughs> now... 
Like I said, ofrenda means offering. And it's a place, a home altar during annual and traditionally Mexican Dia de los Muertos celebration. During one of the visits to an Oaxacan family in Mexico for inspiration, director Lee Unkrich paid special attention to a tradition ofrenda, to, to a traditional ofrenda that holds pictures of the dead and is also used to offer food during Dia de Muertos. He knows that the family basset hound had to be repeatedly chased away from the ofrenda because it tried to eat the food. He found this so amusing that he included a scene in the movie where Miguel is horrified to find Dante eating food from the ofrenda. <laughs> I, I love, love Dante. He's so funny. Yeah, he's he's got his tongue hanging out. <laughs> I love when he becomes uh, a deity. Like, uh, what's it called? The spiritual guide? Oh, the, um, yeah. hold on, I got, I got that written down he somewhere. Gets, he, he gets all neon colored and he has like these little tiny wings. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> He's a funny guy. Yeah. So to Albrilles, uh, they're colorful spiritual animal inhabitants that reside in the land of the dead. Thank you. You're but a spirit guide is what, is, is what they're calling it in the film. Basically, yeah, he, he actually kind of is a spiritual, spiritual guide for yeah. Miguel in the land of the living. And he can see the dead. That's why he, he's always trying to help Miguel out throughout the film. And then Miguel realizes, oh, you could see them all along. But I, and I love how once he enters the land of the dead, uh, it could have been scary, like meeting skeletons. And it is scary, but the way they animated it uh, and the way they made the skeletons so personable really kept it great for audiences and for kids. Because uh, the skeletons, they'll have really beautiful like markings on their faces and uh, the animation still feels uh, kind of goofy and fun and kid-friendly. Because it could have been very scary. They, and what I love about Pixar is their ability to make the real, make make their creations and their animations look real with incredible textures and accurate lighting. But they're still cartoony and the way they're animated. So they can make realistic looking humans, but they don't. They choose to still make them feel cartoonish in a way. Same goes for the skeletons where they could have made them look like real skeletons, but that's no fun. So they they animate it. They, they Pixar-fy it in a way. And I love the, the small details like the skeletons, they, they breathe. Like you can see their chest going up and down and they don't have to do that. But I'm sure they ran tests where they weren't breathing and they were like, no, that doesn't work. Like you'd have to be able to interpret, uh, help the audience interpret what's going on, especially kids. So having little details like the skeletons are breathing even though they don't have any organs or muscle tissue or anything. It still just makes sense visually for us to see that. Uh, the way their faces move, it obviously wouldn't work with a skull to like their mouths aren't really moving and changing expression, but it's an animated film. So I love how Pixar time and time again manages to make images feel real but still animated at the same time. And they make so many other things about every screenshot, every every image look realistic as hell. I mean, the yeah. follicles of hair, it looks so real, whether it's a skeleton or a human being. The clothing looks so real, the, the structures, the ground, the buildings. So everything else looks hyper-realistic, but the animation, the big eyes for the humans and the skeletal structures of the, of this, of the people who have passed, it's, it's a really yeah. beautiful blend. And it's the little details too, like the security guard at the uh, at the that area, and his his belt is tied around his spine, so his pants <laughs> his pants are wide on his waist and then super skinny around his spine where his his belt buckle is. This movie's really funny. Yeah. There's a lot of great humor in it, lots of great jokes like that. And one of my favorite parts about the animation. And the story is the the golden orange flower that's throughout the film. And, you know, you first see it when Miguel is walking into the guitar area, the shrine of 
Ernesto and he steals the guitar, but when he strums the guitar, he's just surrounded by those golden orange flowers and those those petals are all over the place in the land of the dead. Now, the orange flower seen throughout the film is the Aztec marigold known as the Mexican marigold or the Campachuquil. The flower is used in the tradition of Dia de los Muertos in Mexico to guide the deceased to the living. And so this flower is very present on the bridge as the people who have passed in the dead, in the land of the dead, are moving to see the people of the living in that plane. And speaking of Miguel and his entire quest, I think that this film is a great life lesson for both kids and parents. For kids, you can see the takeaway is the, the importance of family and respecting and loving your elders and passing your tradition, your family, on to the next generation. Um, but in the, but for parents, you could definitely say that the the lesson for parents in this film is to to not stop your children for, for pursuing their dreams. Miguel's family, obviously, they have pretty good reason for preventing him from playing music and from... Uh, banning music basically from the from the family but you can see the despair it causes miguel the the unhappiness and how difficult it is just to be himself he's not able to express who he is to those who are most important to him like i'm what he wants to do more than anything is just to sing for his family but they wouldn't allow it and so i think this film has a great life lesson just for parents just as much as for kids and let your kids express themselves let them pursue whatever their dream is no matter how crazy it is because if they're intensely passionate about something, uh, th it could be good for them. And we shouldn't restrict our kids and we should let them basically fly at whatever they like to do. And I think that's a great lesson for kid for families, parents and children in this movie. Especially if your kid has a passion like Miguel has for guitar because it's something that was passed on to him from his great-great-grandfather from Hector, that's in his bones, it's in his blood. Music is his life, and his life is music. You know, there's a great quote like that in the film that obviously I think Ernesto stole for one of his movies or TV <laughs> series because Ernesto is just a terrible person. You think he's the coolest guy. You think that, you know, Miguel thinks he found him when he when he talks to Ernesto, and Ernesto's like, I have a great, I have a great, great grandson. This is amazing. His reaction is everything that happens seems perfect, mm -hmm. the way Ernesto initially reacts and shows him off to his friends and he's re respectfully and happily gives him his blessing. He's, he's about to give him his blessing, but it, but he's he seemed like the perfect great-great-grandfather up until then. And, and Miguel, he's actually got a ticking clock. You know, he has to, because he's been cursed, he has to get his family's blessing in order to return to the land of the living. And then he can put up his great-great-grandmother's uh, photograph on the ofrenda so that she can pass on to the plane, cross the bridge to be able to be with her living relatives and living loved ones. But because they know that he's going to play music, she makes that deal with him. Like, I'll give you my blessing, but you can't play music ever again. That's when he gets the idea. My great-great-grandfather in the Nesto, he's dead too. What if I find him in the land of the dead and get his blessing, which he thinks is a great plan. So, but he has a, a time limit because the longer he stays in the land of the dead, the more he is going to become dead and just eventually be a resident of the living of the dead. And he'll be a skeleton there forever. Ticking clock, man. It works every time. It really does. And also Hector's got that ticking clock we were talking about because his only person, his only relative who remembers him is forgetting him. And I, it was so moving the first time I watched this to find out that it's Coco. Coco, Mama Coco. 
is Hector's daughter, who he never got to say goodbye to. He was on the road touring with Ernesto. Ernesto, he told Ernesto that he wanted to basically quit and go be home with his family because, uh, what? Um, I'm sorry. Miguel's great great grandmother's name, Abuelita, is Imelda. Yes, Imelda. Imelda. Mama Imelda. Imelda. Mama Imelda. It was also a musician, but she wanted to make roots. She wanted to start a family and raise Coco. And then she thought that um, she thought that Hector, Hector was abandoning yeah. her, running off to pursue his music. Then he passed away. He died there. But she didn't know. She thought he just ran off and never came back. She didn't know that he yeah. was murdered dun, dun, dun! by Ernesto after he told Ernesto that he did not want to play music on the road anymore. He wanted to be with his family. He loved his daughter Coco so much and... It was so touching to see that he played songs for her in secret at night at the same time that she sang them at the same time in secret from such far distances away. And Remember Me was written for her, but Ernesto kills him and steals his entire, uh, all of his music and all of his quotes. He basically steals his personality and yeah, his talent. Yeah, the, his... Letters, the letters he wrote to her, he used as the music as well. So uh, you, could, you could probably fool me into drinking poison if it was Miss Cal. I could, I, mezcal? I, yeah, if it was, it was mezcal, mezcal, yeah, it was I would mezcal. probably drink it. <laughs> I, I love mezcal. <laughs> but uh, it, it's really a terrific villain and because it, it brings in so much heartache. And Hector is this – you just you think he's like this down-on-this-luck, like goofy guy and uh, just like, doesn't deserve anything. That you, but then you realize everything was taken away from him and he has the biggest heart out of anyone and – Man, I just get so emotional just thinking about like the last act of this movie. It's really, really touching. But so many, so many beats of this film work, and and through and through, it really is a pitch perfect script. Uh, the characters are all terrific. I love so many aspects of it. And, but speaking of the mezcal, that looks great. But also the food looks good. Like the the tamale look. Oh my god, the tamales in the opening. I, I love uh, all grandmothers are like this, you know. They just want to feed their grandson <laughs> so much, and and like Miguel is full from eating tamales, and Abuelita asks, "Do you want some more tamales?" He's like, "Oh no!" She's like, "I asked if you wanted more tamales." He's like, "Of, of course, I want some more tamales." <laughs> Throws five more on his plate. <laughs> I love grandmas; they're always like that. <laughs> I, I used to love going to grandma's place, grandma and grandpa's house, because there'd always be just a ton of bread and butter. Right as soon as you bread with in, the sugar on top, bread, butter, and sugar. Yeah. Just make a little sprinkling or she'd have some some meatballs ready to go for snacks but grandparents grandmas they love to feed their grandkids it's like one of their favorite things in the world to do yeah it's i, I, I loved it I, I, ice it, cream with movies oh my god so much ice cream so many cookies so, so many, many cookies so, many so much food. food so much food so much food <laughs> but this movie is really special the music is terrific uh by jacchino but also by the singers uh, um, did Anthony Gonzalez do his own singing? It sounded he, like he did. If he did, he's really fantastic. And uh, I think Gail Garcia Bernal was, is so great as Hector. He's got that terrific comedy element, and he plays it perfectly. Uh, and he's this guy you can't help but love, Hector. Um, and then Benjamin Bratt as the villain of Ernesto is terrific. He, he's got he does that great uh, accent. It's really terrific and and perfect for the character. Gael's getting that Disney money. He did this, then he did a uh, Werewolf by Night. He's the lead. Oh yeah, in that, in that short. Um, so will guess, he, he'll will he pop up in future projects as that character? I'm not sure. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I, that I don't really. I haven't really watched that many MCU projects outside of the movies. Yeah. That's one of the only things I've watched in the last, like, six months in terms of TV series. But um, he's the lead in uh, Werewolf by Night. He's mm -hmm. terrific in that. He's, he's an awesome actor. I mean, we talked about him at length in our in our Alfonso Cuaron episode when we talked about Itu Mama Tambien. 
and we compared that to Roma, and he's a tremendous actor. Uh, Itumama Tambien, he's so young. He's he's with uh, uh, Diego, Diego Luna, Luna and that yeah. co- co-lead actors in that movie. They're they're so good together. But he's perfect as Hector. He, he he really I think is the heart of the story besides Miguel. But again, Coco being Rosebud, being the key to Hector's survival of being remembered because she's the only relative who remembers him who's still living. She, she's the only one that can keep him alive in the living of the dead, which is an interesting concept. Being alive in the afterlife, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's so touching when Miguel, who knows Ernesto's music by heart, he knows every song, and everyone at the talent show in the land of the dead is playing like "Remember Me" with different instruments and different styles. And when Hector tells Miguel that "Remember Me" was not a song meant for the world, that song was meant to just be only for Coco, just me and her. That was our secret song for when we were great distances apart at night, we would sing together alone and be with each other and kind of in, in try to remember each other, even though we were apart. And then, you know, Coco throughout the film, she's losing her memory. She barely recognizes her, her own, own daughter, daughter yeah. which is really tough to, Abelita is so worried about her. And by the end of the film, as soon as Hector almost sacrifices himself to give Miguel his blessing, even though he's got, who knows, hours to live, days to live in the land of the dead until Coco forgets him completely. He gives Miguel his blessing to return to the land of the living. And the way that Miguel is able to make Coco remember her father is to play Remember Me, just like he used to play for her in her bedroom when she was a little girl. I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I'm getting choked up just thinking about it right like, now. Just an hour ago, I was like, it's, I was weeping. It's so sweet. Oh, my it's God. It's so touching. It's heartbreaking. And it's just, it makes you real, really sad to find out that he missed on out on her entire life because, you know, when she passes eventually at the end of this film, she's in the land of the, of the dead now. And obviously, you, you freeze in time of, like, when you die. That's what age you are forever in the land of the dead. Although everyone looks like a skeleton. So. Yeah, yeah, everyone looks like a skeleton. <laughs> but, like, Coco is just like a little old abuela. For, and uh, her father, Hector, is holding her hand. It's she very looks sweet. pretty – she feels youthful, though. She's, like, moving pretty well. She's got, like, a Dumbledore yeah, quality to her. Yeah, yeah, She, like, jumps up to hug him. Yeah, I think – well, everyone in the land of the dead is very uh, Agile. Yeah. Very agile. <laughs> and sprung. Spring. There's, there's no uh, joints, so you don't feel any – there's no uh, – um, what's the what's the element called? Arthritis. There's no arthritis yeah, in just, Land of the Dead. It's just bones. So it's really touching to see that even though they've missed out on Coco's entire life together and his entire life with Coco together, they still love each other so much and family still comes first, which is you know the, the main theme of the film for Miguel to learn was to put family first because he was refusing his family. He didn't want to be part of his family anymore because they wouldn't let him play music. So, But it's, it's compromise on both sides. He can put his family first and they can also let him play music at the same time. But I, I just, it's a great uh, family ending where they all learn the truth. We all learn the truth about Ernesto. And instead of his statue saying, Remember me, it says, Forget, Forget you, me. which is really great. Even though, how, how could they prove it in the real in the real world? <laughs> no, they proved it with the, the poems. All oh, the poems. So yeah, Coco kept sorry. all the letters and poems that Hector wrote for her. Sorry. And they were the lyrics that were in all of Ernesto's songs. You're right, you're right. So clearly didn't do his research. Clearly didn't do my research at all. I was just cr- busy crying the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. The last 10 minutes of this movie. 
<laughs> Let's uh, move into our intermission. Let's How about do it. that? Yeah. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Get awesome perks like personalized advantages, personalized videos. We have five different tiers, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tiers. Each one comes with a bunch of different goodies. Be sure to go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast to support our show today. This episode is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. Again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today now let's get into our intermission and begin with the movie quote competition you ready pal let's hear it as the sound of the playgrounds faded the despair set in very odd what happens in a world without children's voices children of men yes sir nice good pick i just watched it thanks did you i haven't seen it in a while i gotta give her a rewatch yeah i watched it like two weeks ago yeah, maybe we'll do an episode <clears throat> on it it's a great movie top 25 for me Okay, Let's just start doing goaded movies. Yeah, why not, man? <laughs> why not? <clears throat> if they had told me it was going to be 15 years, would it have been easier to endure? Old boy? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Let's go. I did that one for you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's one of my all-time faves. All right, guess this movie release here. The Skin I Live In. <laughs> 2009. 2011. Oh, man. Highly, highly, highly recommend that movie. Antonio Banderas. So crazy. Guess this movie release here. Doctor Strange Love. 1966? 64. Ah, damn. Very close, very close. All right. Salma Hayek and Antonio. Oh, pop quiz time, sorry. Oh, I, got but I, love talk, I, I love talking about Salma Hayek. Oh, yeah, we could just talk about her. <laughs> Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas have been in several movies together. Can you name three? <clears throat> okay. Spy Kids. El Mariachi. No, no, the other one. Oh, what's it called? She's not in El Mariachi. Um... The sequel, what's it called? Robert Rodriguez directed it. I know, it's the part of the trilogy. I, I don't know. You don't have any other guesses besides those? <laughs> no. So, you're thinking of, well, we got Desperado. Desperado! Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Frida. Frida actually has a great cameo. Antonio's in, in Frida? He is. I didn't know that. Yes, he plays David. Yeah, yeah, he, he's in that movie. Yeah, he's he's in that movie. Um, but Frida also has a, a cameo in uh, Coco, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hitman's the Hitman's wife's bodyguard. bodyguard. Then also Puss in Boots, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, <laughs> and the Hitman's bodyguard. I believe they're both. In, yeah, Salma is Antonio in those. Actually, I don't know if Antonio's in those. I don't think he is. Okay, so Antonio's not in those, but he is in all the other ones with her. So they're in like six movies together. I didn't know she was in the Puss in Boots movies. Mm-hmm. 
well, she well, plays well. Kitty Softpaws. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I've seen them. And also, I think they're both in four rooms. I think they both might be in four rooms. Yeah, probably. They made around that time. I know Antonio is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're in a bunch of movies together. They work together quite a bit. Let's move on to your pop quiz question. Ready? Ready. Who directed The Green Mile? That was directed by... What's his name? The guy who did Shawshank. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Why am I blanking? He did The Walking Dead, too, season one. Um, WTF. What? I can't think of his name. Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont. Damn it. For bonus credit, too, he appears in Entourage for a multi-episode arc directing Vincent Chase in what movie? I have no idea. Medellin. Medellin! Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. So Darabont's the director of it. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, my streaming recommendation for this episode, before we get into uh, haters and stuff, is... Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Go ahead, man. You already started. Kronos on HBO Max from Guillermo del Toro. Great movie. Great, great movie. My recommendation is Blood Simple, also on HBO Max by the Coen brothers. Now let's get to the haters, of which we have many. Always. Many haters today. Real so, ones? Uh, we have no real ones, but oh, all... Okay. all uh, well, someone called us idiots today. What'd they say? Well, I wrote um, the Aliens crew didn't hated James Ridley Scott, but in the clip it's James Cameron. I just accidentally typed in gotcha. Ridley Scott with my brain. He called us... He said, get your text right, idiots. So I blocked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's the haters. Well, first is my favorite quote of the week. My favorite, uh, you get it. This is great. So I posted a clip about Tom Cruise learning how to get to a pro level of pool playing for the for the, the Hustler sequel, The Color of Money. And then Tyler Marr, nineteen sixty two, wrote, "Good thing he didn't star in Boogie Nights." What? Because <laughs> he would have become a porn star. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. You got it. Took you a second, but you got it. Yeah. Next up, that's pretty good. The Kitty Jor resubscribed. Then I seen Anthony's hoodie, took the hit, so I unsubscribed because I was wearing an unsubscribed hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Tim Spoots, 86.2. You bozos, Peter, Peter's brother paid for the trip in Home Alone, unsubscribed. <laughs> that's how we afforded the big the, the trip for like nine people to Paris. Yeah. And then Dirk Diggler, no Luna in this episode, unsubscribed. Unsubscribed. <laughs> Michael Robert Robert Anderson, you didn't mention the Ant Boy trilogy in your trilogy episode, the single most important superhero franchise of all time. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Stone Cinema wrote, "Everybody knows the best trilogy of all time is Kung Fu Panda." Unsubscribed. Pretty good. Which has wrote, "All I'll say is, if Paddington Two isn't on the list, you will find me unsubscribed." But it's it's not a trilogy though. Two movies, right? Two movies. <laughs> it's that good though, right? Yeah, it's that good. Yeah, uh, Dirk Diggler. The Austin Powers movies weren't rated R unsubscribed because I said they were rated R. And then uh, Paul can too. Congrats, fellas. Well deserved on being the in the top 1% of podcasts. 2023 will be even bigger for you guys, and I'm excited for the ride. Assuming I don't unsubscribe, keep up the Timmy and Cavill content and give the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> William Henry Cleave, when are you going to do a review on Golden Face Origins? <laughs> Brother Smith 05 in our Spotify uh, clip about the sets. The, sh the set should have been decorated from the start. Unsubscribe. Q 
keep up the great work. This is my favorite podcast. And then uh, Mike Watt, Mike, Mike was taking one, two, three, actually got us on this one. James didn't even have a table. Well, now neither of you have a table. Unsubscribed. <laughs> now neither of you have a table. <laughs> Kev to the B. I thought the origin streak was broken. I almost hit unsubscribe. Almost. But with the Rocket Raccoon Guardians origins. Woo. Thanks, Guardians 3. Thanks, James Gunn. All right. And then we have a, a quote from a friend, from a fan for you. For me? Yeah. I'd like to think if you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of your life. Oh. Oh, this is. Oh, what is this? I'd like to think if you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of your life. This sounds so goddamn familiar. Ah. This is from Ryan Patsalidis. Ryan Patsalidis. If you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of... I like to think that if you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of your life. I can't remember, man. Nightcrawler. Oh, my goodness. Good one, right? That was a great quote. That's a great quote. Thanks, great Ryan. Movie. We have a great five-star review. Nice. Let's hear it. From, from an Italian friend of ours. So his, his title and his review is... Professional Italian? <laughs> Disiscrito, which means unsubscribed in Italian. <laughs> I'm a longtime listener jumping over from Spotify to write this review. Wow, thanks so much for, first of all, just jumping over to Apple Podcasts, Appreciate iTunes that. to write the review. Anyone can do it. All he needs is an email address. Yeah. I found these two dudes on TikTok. I saw them dressed up like elves <laughs> talking about how great Lord of the Rings is. <laughs> from that moment forward, I knew I found my favorite podcast, despite what some haters think. These guys put so much time, effort, and research into each episode. They have helped me develop my love for movies and helped me understand movies I never really got on the first time around. Around. Siete bravi ragazzi, vi voglio bene. We love you too, pal. Grazie mille. Thank you so much. Oh, man, that's a great. That's, I saw these two guys dressed as <laughs> elves talking about how great Lord of the Rings is. <laughs> we got to do that more often, I guess. <laughs> Not going to lie, I'm in the middle of watching the extended cuts right now. <laughs> I've been on it for the last four days. I did the Lord of the Rings extended cuts, I want to say, a few like a few years ago. Um, and it's like a commitment because it is like four, four and a half each one. It's like a miniseries. It's crazy. It's unbelievable how. I, I, I don't think I've seen the extended cuts. No, you haven't. What you how, what, have you watched Fellowship fall through? Oh yeah. And what about Two Towers? And... I've seen the. I just finished Two Towers last night. So you just have Return Left for just for Return. Extended. Yeah. What do you think about them? Do you like them better than the theatrical? I like the Fellowship one better. The Two Towers. There's definitely some things that they didn't need, but I like every. I like pretty much all the additional footage and scenes from Fellowship. How do you feel about them cutting uh, the death of of uh, Saruman? I think it. I think it works fine. I think it would have been cool to see though in the theatrical cut. I think it doesn't really work as well in in if they put it in the theatrical cut. When I watched the extended edition, I like that scene. It's cool to see how he dies, but it's also impaled. like, do they really? They don't really need it. No, they didn't need it. Yeah, and but there's there's things where you can see the editing and the way they cut it. Actually, it does it does really work, even though you're not seeing important stuff um, in the deleted scenes. Um, I think they did a. Honestly, an amazing job cutting the films down without taking away from the story because there's over an hour, 15 minutes at least in each one extra. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of stuff. So it's really impressive uh, what that editor did, um, being able to make it still a great films and great stories. without. But I'm just like in awe of how much shit they shot. There's so much more. <laughs> it's there's, crazy. There's so many scenes. I'm like, I can't believe they shot all this stuff. You know you found a real one like it, in a significant other if they, they're cool to watch the extended yeah. version of Lord of the Rings with you. I think I actually have seen all the extended in the past. It's just only one time through, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, in, it's intense. But I prefer the theatrical cuts, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think they just flow so much better. I think the second, I think the Two Towers theatrical cut is better. All right, let's get back into Coco. Coco. that's what this episode's about. Now, 
as great as this film is, and as much as I love pretty much every aspect of it, I do have a major con to Pixar's Coco. Let's hear it. There is not that much Spanish being spoken in this film. I would have loved to see more Espanol in Coco. Like, I know that Blue Beetle coming out with DC, that's going to be, I've heard, like 50%, 60% of that film is going to be in Espanol, which is fantastic. Now, I know it's 2017, so I think, you know, there's a cultural shift in film, and, and that's more included now in movies coming out, which is great. I just wish that they had a little more Spanish in this film versus just a couple words here and there and some of the lyrics and in, in songs because I think it would have been a huge benefit to the story, to the culture of Mexico in the film. But I understand why they didn't do it, you know, but I, I would like to see more. I actually completely agree. Uh, and watching- Actually, wow. <laughs> this is a good point. Because I, I just watched it, like I said, like an hour ago, and there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, I wish that would have been in, in Spanish, in their native tongue. Especially when uh, Coco is speaking, it would make sense that she maybe doesn't know English in uh, being that old and growing up a couple of generations before. Um, and also, the music could have really worked if most of it was in Spanish. Obviously, Remember Me, you can keep that in English, but I think a lot of the songs could have worked out really well in Spanish, especially nowadays where so many people are watching everything with subtitles, with captions on. Even English shows. Yeah, even English shows and, and English, movies. English speech speakers. No, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah nothing, nothing, wrong, wrong, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. But um, I think it's, I mean, I would have liked to see definitely much more Spanish in the film because uh, they did such a remarkable job with the culture and with the design of the film and with the, you know, cultural significance and historical accuracy and basically love for uh that community i think it i think it definitely there are moments where i'm like oh i wish they were speaking spanish it would make it would make a lot more sense for sure and and going back to the animation what i found so impressive like i said earlier is really the lighting and obviously it's extremely extravagant and so massive in scale in the land of the dead where you have these massive environments and incredible colors and just beautiful set design and the creativity is just on full display. I'm sure all the animators were just given like free reign to do whatever. And I love the neon looks of the spirit guides. But I what I found what I find most impressive is the the subtle lighting uh, in the real world circumstances, whether it be uh, the lighting in a room or the patio being lit in an evening with just um, Edison bulbs. Uh, these these the lighting techniques they use in this film are, are really incredible and. I prefer like the minimalist lighting scenes, like like Coco's secret room. It's just the the lighting from the t- television and a couple of things he has strewn about the room, or the way the house is lit in the evening. It, it's just really remarkable uh, what these animators can do, and they create these these programs that basically create a digital world. It's like just and it's, the fact that it just comes from coding is unbelievable. Um, but they're they're incredible artists. But I really enjoy. Uh, the minimalist lighting and the cinematic quality to it, uh, especially in the more um, smaller scale scenes. I really love how the living and dead are like walking amongst each other in this film. And the both worlds are kind of on top of each other from the perspective of the land of the dead and those who have passed. I think it's really fascinating because so many people are, you know, spiritual and they think that like, you know, there are spirits among us. And it's really cool to see that in a movie like shown 
in a peaceful way, in a positive way, not like being haunted or anything like that, but just <laughs> your loved ones are surrounded by you, but also at the same time, it's like, do you want to exist forever? <laughs> <laughs> What's also interesting is the land of the dead has its own uh, community, has its own thing, its own civilization. People work jobs, you know? People, It's like working at the airport, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's security guards. Like, people have businesses, and some people are poor, and some people are extremely wealthy. And in a way, uh, the uh, the more remembered you are in the real world, the more wealth you have and power you have in the land, in the land of the dead, in the spirit world, which is why um, Ernesto has so much such an extravagant lifestyle because he's so famous and he gets so much from the people in the real world it's interesting to see how there still is a social hierarchy in the land of the dead and people like hector are just basically like in a way homeless and they're just getting by and uh, they don't have anything and they they're living on the streets in a way where you have the affluent and elites are still living it up and celebrities are celebrities forever and they get to live that lifestyle for like all eternity i guess until they are f eventually finally forgotten although some people will probably never be forgotten depending on the size of their celebrity and their fame but i like how they didn't make it just a paradise for everyone it was kind of a reflection of the real world in a lot of ways which i think was the right choice in the direction to make with the film the power of music also it's so big in this film. It's so important because even though Ernesto stole Hector's music, killed him, became super famous, got what he deserved with that giant bell falling on top of him. Again. <laughs> um, in the afterlife, he's still very famous and everything. His music, Hector's music still found his family. It still found Miguel. And Miguel was still inspired by the music that even though he was watching Ernesto sing it and take ownership of it, it, his, it's still his his great great grandfather's music, and it's and it's inside of his bones, inside of his blood, and that's probably what connected him so much. And yes, watching those tapes of Ernesto connected with him, a life that he'd always dreamed of having, but to actually live it, to be proud to have Hector as a father when he finds out who a great great grandfather when he finds out who he truly is. It's re it's really special, and just the power of music transcending love, transcending generations. It's really fascinating. And also it changes Miguel's entire pursuit and motivation for being a musician, where at first he wants to be famous like Ernesto. He wants to be the greatest musician ever. Uh, he just He's basically just chasing fame and celebrity. Uh, and by the end of the film, family is more important than anything. And Miguel learns that, you know, the true purpose for making great music or great artists to share it with others, not to make money, but also to to put love into it. And uh, Hector shows him by saying himself, like, I didn't make Remember Me for to be famous and to make money. I, I wrote it for my daughter. And so Miguel learns that uh, pursuing music shouldn't be uh, for materialism or attention. It should just be for the love of the music. And I think there's clearly a real world metaphor between the U.S. and Mexico in this film with the border and the security and uh, loved, uh, past pers a person who's passed away and the living of the dead, they can only cross the border to be with the living if they've had an offering from a loved one, the photo put up on the ofrenda. Otherwise, you can't get across the border, just like Hector tries to sneak through the border at the beginning of the film. I think it's a blatant metaphor 
subtly for you know adults to obviously pick up on but maybe for kids to start understanding a blatant subtle metaphor <laughs> a, bl- a blatant for adults but maybe subtle, subtle for, for kids, kids. Yeah. got it got it got yeah it, got that it. makes sense yeah yeah that, that makes i think you're absolutely right mm-hmm. i think 100 percent, and uh it's it, it's a great correlation and a great parallel to a real world circumstance which is also like to have the resonant themes of uh, social classes as well i think is just a great thing to add to this film that it's not like hammered down your throat but it's shown to you just through the character and through action, mm-hmm. which Pretty, is the best way to do it. It is the best way to do it. It's 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 very nuanced. Yeah, nuanced. Nuanced. <laughs> uh, you got anything else on Coco? Uh, other than it's just an emotional journey, and it's a, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I I was weeping two hours ago. I was crying my eyes. Yeah, out. I've seen this three times. I was weeping too. <laughs> I'm like it still gets me. It's it's so good, and it's really beautiful film. Uh, terrific story. Uh, amazing music, memorable characters, uh, and, and really important themes that uh, relate to everybody. No matter what culture you're from, you can really completely relate to everything that's going on in a meaningful way. And yeah. I think that's the whole point of storytelling. Strong uh, themes about family, remembering your family, remembering past loved ones and, and, and the dead. And I, I think my favorite line in this entire movie is... You know, when Hector is trying to, for probably the hundredth time, talk to Melda, he's he's rescued Miguel from that basin and he's brought him to their family with the giant lion and everything that's been trying to find Miguel, tracking him down. And Miguel says to uh, his great-great-grandmother Imelda about Hector, you don't have to forgive him, but don't forget him, which is really touching and really moving. And I think that's my favorite quote in the whole film. It's great. It's a really beautiful line. I think everything that Coco says at the end is just just it's, it oh, kills me. Oh my goodness! I used to sing that with my papa. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> my <galito. laughs> Love Coco. This is such a tremendous film. I think it's top tier Pixar. It's I think their last great great movie. I think mm-hmm. you know they haven't really had anything that's they made good this. ones. Yeah, yeah. Like, Encanto is good. Luca's good. But I, good. I think yeah. I think this is a special one. Top five for me. Top three for you. It's it's tremendous. It's phenomenal, and I love every minute of it. Same, same sees. All right, thanks everyone for tuning into our episode on Pixar's Coco. Please become a patron today at Patreon.com/slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. And thank you to Black Magic Design for sending us these awesome Black Magic G2 6K cinema cameras, pocket cinema cameras. They are phenomenal. They record up to 6K cinema log raw, Black Magic raw, which is incredible. If you're an independent filmmaker, videographer, can't recommend them enough. They're very affordable, couple grand a pop for some of the highest quality, low budget cinema cameras on the market today. Thanks, Blackmagic Design. Adios, amigos. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook. Calvin Cam, Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.